Welcome back to the My Love of Golf podcast. How are you, sir? I'm very good, thank you, Roscoe. It's been a while. Um, looking forward to having a good discussion uh, tonight. Absolutely. So it's Monday night, and uh, so we're recording after the weekend's golf activities. And there's a little bit to cover. Um, a couple of reasonable tournaments around the world and a couple of reasonable wins um, that affect the Aussies and uh, affect me personally. We can talk about that in a minute. But um, I just want to get tonight off to say I'm, I'm a bit sad today, Rocket, and I have to uh, share that with you. And, and what, what, what is that? Well, about lunchtime today I got a text message from my father, which uh, is a reasonably rare thing, given the fact that he's only just learnt at the age of 71 how to text message. But it basically said Cessnock Golf Club gone. And I text him back to say, what does that mean? And you know, in his fine Scottish wit, he texts me back saying, well, it means no golf for me on Saturday. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, I rang him to get the backstory. And the golf club is unfortunately at Cessnock, Cessnock Golf Club, which is the town where I grew up, um, has been in voluntary administration for the last 12 months. And... All the signs were that you know, the club was travelling okay and it would make agreements and arrangements and put the steps in place to um, keep the club going. But the administrators came in today and locked the doors and told the staff that they were all finished. And I'm not sure what happens after that, but you know, it basically looks like one of country New South Wales' fine golf courses, which is... Significant on a number of reasons because it's been home to a number of very good golfers and in particular junior golf, home to a, a very big junior golf tournament in the Jack Newton Junior Golf Foundation International Sub-Junior Classic since the 80s. Um, it looks like it's uh, in a difficult spot and the club's going to close and just a bit sad. So, you know, it's the game is always on that precipice of growing and having some exciting stuff happen and being you know so much positive um, things happening president's cup australians winning on the international scene you know you and i are having a great time but there's always that side of the coin that um shows us that the game is still in a, a challenge spot and while we need to get everyone out there playing and do whatever we can to help someone who hasn't played golf or who might have, might have expressed an interest to play golf, we should do whatever we can to get them out of there. Get them Not to get them out of there, get them out there and, and play. And, you know, I, I try and do my bit with what I do in the golf industry. But if anyone listens to this and they've got a set of golf clubs kicking about that they don't do anything with or an iron or a putter or a wedge or a driver, and there might be a kid or there might be a, a young lady or a, a friend or whoever that they know that has expressed an interest in golf or has expressed an interest in hanging out with the golf club with them for a bit, 
get them down there, get the golf club in the hand, get them to the range because, you know, we don't want any more situations like, you know, my family and my friends from my childhood are faced with today and not having a golf club to go and play at because there's simply not enough revenue coming through the doors, which basically means not enough golfers. So I just wanted to say I was very sad to hear that today. You know, it's where I won my C-grade championship. It's where I had my hole-in-one. It's where I represented the Hunter River and beat all of the interstate teams at, the, at one of the Jack Newton sub-junior classics with Dale Linnitz and now Dale Marshall, who was one of Australia's finest amateur um, female golfers. We were in the same team. So there's a lot of memories. Um, one A tree's planted there in memory of my mum, so I don't know what's going to happen to that. All of that sort of stuff. So sad, but, you know, the positive out of it is get people golfing, have a think about situations like that and get people that you know engaged. So anyway, sorry to, to bring it up. Bring, oh, bring no, it. no, I, I understand. I st- when you started to talk about you know, your C-grade C club championship, your hole-in-one, I started to think about, you know, where I've grown up and, you know, just the memories and, you, you know, the thought of that course closing down or becoming derelict, it can be quite... Um, depressing actually and you know your call to action for everyone out there that loves the game to um, encourage people to be playing etc the other thing as well it's like people like myself I feel obligated that it's my duty to even educate people about the game it's not just the playing of it it's sometimes it's the history of it and what it actually means and how it does bring people together because you know sometimes the reason courses um do close it's because you know golf either wasn't promoted in the way it should have been or you know people it wasn't the focus because really you know everything else that happens around a around a club that's the ancillary that's the that's the that's the cherry on top stuff. You know, golf should be first a great facility that people can go and enjoy and have fun and access um, very easily and affordably. They're the most important things. So it's really important that even people that we, you know, come across in our, our daily lives, we educate them on the importance of that because, you know, you never know who that person is or what they might influence, you know, where they might play because, you know, do they treat the course or the club that, that, that they might be a member of? They might even be sitting on that board. They could be a, um, a captain, club captain or something like that. So we want them to be wary of, you know, we'll call it their stewardship of the, the course and the game that they have at their fingertips. Yeah, absolutely. Just listening to you there makes me think about golf courses and you know, the somewhat private nature of them, you know, big fences, gates, etc. And in the main, you know, there's a big community that is surrounding those properties and I'm sure a lot of the people around there, you know, often wonder what's behind those gates. They know it's a golf course, but, you know, what happens in there? How much, you know, importance is that big body of land doing in there for the the community, for the environment? They question it and, and clubs... Yep. Clubs have a, a responsibility to engage the the local community and and and, and invite them in and, and welcome them in and, and not be exclusive, not 
you know, have barriers to, to, to coming in and trying the sport, even just to sit down in the club and have a drink or have a burger or have a, you know, look at the view or, you know, because a golf course and a golf club is usually a nice place to be, you know, in a parkland type setting type environment and let the people come and use it. Let the people come and experience it. And, you know, they just might pick the game up. So, yeah, it's a good point to get to 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 get us off on because um, it's important. But the Roscoe and Rocket sex, section of the podcast has to live on to its uh, <laughs> to its roots, and its roots are talking about the current golf events, and that's what the fans are loving. Rocket, that's what uh, you know. Nanvo walked into my store today, and when he left, he said, "I'm going to listen to you guys on the podcast." Uh, I was quietly taken aback because you know we do this and we pop it out there and you see all the downloads on the computer and you know you hear of your family and your friends and your work colleagues that have listened to it and you expect that but uh you know when people walk in and say I'm going going into the car now to listen to you it made it all real and uh, it was quite a it was quite a nice little uh, moment that I had but the roots of the podcast to talk about current events and I want to talk about the European tour What's happening on the European tour? Well, last weekend it was the uh, Trophy Hassan, which was played uh, at the Royal Golf Club El Salam in Morocco. One of the uh, places that the European tour has taken golf to, to grow the game and expand it into these far-reaching areas and bring the game to a different range of people, just like what we're talking about. But it was won by my guy. My guy, Jorge Campillo. Nine years on tour he's been, since 2009. Had a lot of top ten finishes, more than probably anyone else. He finally cracked his first win. That was great. Would would, would he be the uh, European tour Charles Howe? I don't know about that. I, I, I don't know about that. But he is the guy that had me as his partner in the 2019... Vic Open Pro Am at Thirteenth Beach. He's oh, he's 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 uh, he's rubbed the Roscoe, and it's all there's like this fairy dust that's touched his game, isn't it? I'd like to think that, but I'm not too sure. But anyway, my guy Jorge Campillo, he was a man of few words. He's now my favourite Spanish golfer, maybe not of all time, but he is my current famous favourite Spanish golfer. He was a man of few words, and and I hope he takes this the right way because I hope he has seen it, but I've started following him and watching him on tour, and when I'm up late at night watching the European tour and I see him putt, a good one or a bad, I just pause the Foxtel, take a little video, put it out there on my Instagram story, lucky or unlucky. You know, if it goes in, lucky, and I mean that, in a positive sense, and unlucky if he misses it. Obviously, it's unlucky because that was pretty much of the five or six discussions that I had with him during the day, during the five hours that we spent together. They were the words <laughs> that he used the most. Lucky or unlucky. Usually, talking about my game, it was unlucky. You know, after I hit you know the tenth tee ball into the water, or I missed my third or fourth putt for the day, it was unlucky. Oh, <laughs> you got lucky. So. <laughs> I am on the Campillo bandwagon, and I was great, very grateful to uh, have that experience with him. 
and very, very impressed this morning when I woke up. I couldn't stay up late enough to watch him, but he got to a couple in front and on about the 14th, I think the uh, second place guy, Van Ruyen, sort of had a few sketchy moments and Jorge was lucky enough to uh, keep it together and uh, and take the win. So I was very happy this morning when I got up and see him in the top spot for his first ever win. He was... The interesting thing about Jorge Campillo from Cathedath, um he was a young prodigy as a as a um, amateur golfer. And we were just talking about off-air about you know, your other passion, NFL and, and the college system and the young Aussie guy who's just been through the college system. Well, he went to the University of Indiana. So he was junior golfer in, in Spain, went across to do a um, scholarship at the University of Indiana. And basically on every All-American... Um, team that you could and trophy that you could collect on the way in college golf in the states, he was part of it. Part of you know pretty much all the European teams around that amateur um, scene, the St Andrews Trophy and uh, I forget the other t- names, but he was part of that. So he was he was like a Spanish amateur prodigy and then turned pro uh, on the ba- straight out of university on the back of some invites. Had some early sort of mid table and you know, top 10 success, but it's just been there or thereabouts. Represented um, Spain at the World Cup of Golf, as you remember last year down here at Metropolitan. Um, maybe one of the other words that you might see me put in my Instagram stories about Jorge is above average. <laughs> and not wanting to take away from Connor sketches, but uh, if you hear me, you know, say it in a Spanish-top accent, you know, I'm, I'm not having a go. Jorge, it's just what I do, man of many talents. Um Above average is the way that he described Metropolitan Golf Club. Now, just to continue the story, I was playing with um, two of my industry colleagues, one a former golf pro, both former golf pros, one the representative of Cobra and one another store franchisee. And, and they weren't really sort of up for the chat or to lead the chat, so I thought, well, you know, I'm the 10-episode podcast guru here. I better take charge. So I tried to have an in, in, engage Jorge in an interview-style chat, and I asked him, Jorge, you represented Spain at the World Cup of Golf. What did you think of Metropolitan Golf Club? Because we had just played there about the week before. And he said, very good, above average. <laughs> now, you and I were both there down at Metro for the World Cup of Golf at various times. And it was probably the best presented golf course you had ever seen, I had ever seen in my life. So I was interested in his uh, interpretation of what above average means. I just assume that now I'm going to say above average is very good. So when I put my Instagram story out today with Jorge saying congrats on the win, I put hashtag above average. And, you know, let's just put this out there now, the hashtag Campio watch. Let's see if we can all get behind Jorge and see if we can get him another W because I'm taking some claim for the W for Jorge due to Campio Watch. So I'm on board, Jorge. Um, what else did I ask him? What else did I ask him? I, I asked him. That's okay. I was thinking about um, Metro. I played Metro you know, during my Division One pennant days, and I remember when it was just for pennant, and you could eat your breakfast off the fairways. They were so pure, it wasn't even funny. And then during the World Cup, that was just another level again. So him saying above average, 
I'd like to know what his standard of excellent is. Well, hopefully uh, we can reconnect with Jorge at some stage down the track, but um, maybe not. Anyway, it's other... Int- sorry, go on. I, so, just the other thing. So he, him go, I didn't know he went to in University of Indiana. So that would have been... Well, two, there's a few things. So one, they're not... They're more of a basketball town than a than a than a golf university. So their program is probably not the highest rated. Um, he's come from Spain. He's going to Indiana. So I would have loved to have seen what he would have been like in winter um, up there um, <laughs> in Indiana. That would have been a bit of a culture shock for him. And then for him to be sort of competing at that level, especially when you know half the year he's probably hitting indoors for half the year because. Most of Indiana is under a couple of feet of snow. Probably hitting indoors on a full swing golf simulator too. Yeah, exactly. Hey mate, so just uh, just to wrap off the uh, trophy, Hassan won by Jorge, um, the guy that was contending and pushing him along, Van Ruyen from South Africa, sort of fell away at the end. I was eagerly following um, the young boy uh, Forrest from uh, Craigie Law Golf Club in. East Lothian, just outside of Edinburgh. Um, he plays alongside uh, one of my golfing friends, Gabrielle McDonald, a young Scottish girl, and he was challenging but just fell away, finished minus four. Aussies that featured Wade Ormsby didn't have a great last round but finished minus one in T14. And uh, Demi Papadados was sort of up there in T21 and he was yeah, thereabouts for most of it. Finished minus, uh, finished even, had one under on the last day, but you know, good to see Dimmy sort of journeying about. Jack McLeod was up there in uh, T, was T30, and anyway, that was about that was about it. Now the other thing that stuck out to me on the European tour from the weekend was two things, both relevant to the same person, Ewan Porter. Now Ewan was given an invitation to play in the event. Now you know Ewan Porter. Uh, played on the Nationwide Tour and uh, Web.com and played in European Tour and had a few um, victories and, and you know, reasonable finishes along the way, but has dedicated himself now to the media. And he got a start, and in his own tweets he said the first day was Ben Hogan and day two was Paul Hogan. I didn't see that. That's so, funny. so that was a, that was a funny and typical Ewan Porter way to um, reflect on his results for the two days, which ultimately led to him in him missing the cut. But what that meant was, and the part that impressed me the most was, it meant that we got to hear Ewan doing some commentary over the last two days. And obviously, I listened to a fair bit of the the last day. And in, as a commentator, Ewan Porter is fantastic, and he should be commentating at the highest level, and I think he will be. But he, if if you don't agree with me, please let us know. But Ewan Porter is a breath of fresh, fresh air, especially on the European tour, which is, you know, the guys there on the European tour, and I don't know the guys, Dougie and whoever else, the Scotsman and I think the South African fellas, I, f- I forget their names. They're not the most exciting, you know, you wouldn't call them an, an excitement machine. But you and Porter just lifted the whole ten, tenor of that uh, conversation and added another level. So it was great. You and if you listen to this, and I know you probably won't, you were great, mate. And uh, yeah, respect. The other thing that you and Porter has done recently, more relevant and closer to home, 
is he was the face behind um, Visit Victoria or the Vic government's little piece that they've done in preparation for promoting the President's Cup in promoting Victorian golf. And they did that piece around the Sandbelt where he visited a lot of the Sandbelt courses talking about that and they had some great footage and great video. And if you can find that online, it's really easy to find. But that's Ewan Porter, if you, if you don't know who Ewan is. That's Ewan who's fronting that video and does a great in- interview with Jeff Ogilvy and Mike Cocking at our home course, uh, which nice. featured to, um, heavily in that promotion or that video. So that's Ewan, and that's a great little video that he's done as well. So, mate, that's, um, that's what, I've, what I've got to, to deliver. This is your show, so you must have the big ones coming. <laughs> well, if we're going to talk events, uh, I didn't watch the Zurich Classic because I think they've ruined that event. So I didn't even watch – I don't think I watched a shot – didn't even bother. It was it was quite. I don't know. That's another thing. It's another. We'll put. We'll call it PGA Tour scheduling, and how they do their media. That's another rant. It's just like I. I didn't care. Um, all I cared about this week um, was the women's LA Open. Um, so it's funny they've got this story. So they had to go to the PGA Tour. And what used to be the um, the men's LA Open to get the rights to call the LA Open. It's just weird. Um, but it was played uh, for the second year now at the Wilshire Country Club. And it's just this classic, you know, 100-year-old course in the middle of Los Angeles, um, not far from Beverly Hills off the boulevard. And I was... For me, it was just—it's just great watching an event like this on a really old course that requires great strategy. They—they they firmed the course up as well, so you got to see, you know, especially you know the women are uh, there aren't bombers. There's a few bombers out there, that's for sure. But you know, it was all about where they're placing their tee shots, the irons they're hitting into the, some of these small greens. Um, playing the slopes, the angles, and all that sort of stuff. It was it was just it was awesome to watch. It was it was really awesome, and it was four days of just amazing golf. Um, and we can say that Minji Lee, our Australian from uh, over in Perth, um, took it out by four shots, and it was in a canter. She should have won by more. It was <laughs> seriously. It was like. I was just coming down off Tiger's ball striking from the uh, the final two rounds of the US Masters, and I've watched that three times since we last had our uh, review of that. Um, but watching her over the weekend, she was absolutely striping it. And she putted average, and she just tore them apart. So, for example, in the third round, she shot 67 with a triple, four under 67. And she ended up winning by four. Like, she was absolutely killing them. Um, and it's really good to see because she's had, you know, she's only been pro a couple of years now. Um, she won an, uh, one of the LPGA events when she's an amateur. Uh, and, you know, so this is her fifth victory. So, and now she's like number four in the world. Like, and, you know, she beat a really good field. So she's taken out. 
you know, obviously the, the three players above her. Um, and it was a pretty good sort of um, field. So you had um, Sion Kim finish second, Annie Park and Morgan, Morgan Pressel finished tied for third. And then you had about 10 players tied for fifth. So you had like Amy Yang, Imbi Park. So it was just, it was, a, it was an elite field that was at the top of the leaderboard. Um, and she did it with her ball striking, just how she was just plot, plotting her way around the course was was amazing. And, and, I, and I started thinking a little bit, you know, there's a little bit of the uh, thinking forward, but also thinking about ball striking on a, on a classic course. I'm forward thinking to the, the Women's US Open in June, and that's actually being played at Country Club of Charleston, which is another drumroll, Seth Rayner classic. So, you know, that's another one that's going to be all about strategy, um, you know, putting the ball in the right places because Rainer Greens, it's the, the, the adventure st- doesn't doesn't finish once you get to the green. So, you know, it's I, I'm going to go out on a limb and I reckon she would be, she's my early pick to, to take out the US Open, I think. Mate, that would be very, very cool. Just so lucky the uh, production team's just going to jump into the car here while, uh, while I have a little right, bit of a go. I'll get rid of this eventually. <laughs> oh, sorry, did I say car? We, did I say, did, mate, I, did mate, I refer we, to this as a car? We put it in the start. <laughs> did, I, did I refer to this as a car? Sorry. It's the Nissan mobile podcast studio. It's a mobile booth. It's a, it's, it's a touring, it's the tour booth. When you're on the road and you've got a full day, you've just got to take the opportunities. And I don't care if it's the side of the road, in a in a room, in a booth, whatever. We just we just go when we've got the time, mate. But um, anyway, back to Minji Lee. Fantastic result. She is obviously a world class class player. Uh, I think that moves her up to about five wins on the tour. And yeah, five. You know, I think she's. Got a long way to get to uh, Curry Webb's forty-one, and then, uh-huh. but she's not far from overtaking Rachel Hetherington, who was um, eight. The eight. Yes, um, I remember Rachel played. Jan, 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 Jan Stevenson, Stevenson. Got 16, 16. 16. Yeah. So I remember Rachel played a bit of junior golf around Rachel. She was a great player, um, still is. But yeah, so she was great. I watched a little bit of the last round, but. You know, the way she closed it out on, I think the closing hole is a par three, is that correct? Yes. Yeah, with so it's uh, the 18th, and it's traditionally, so normally on that course, the 18th is a 14th hole, but I think they've just, um, for, I think it was actually a bit more for um, um, just making it a little bit more interesting. They just, they just changed, you know, what the finishing hole would be, which is actually, I actually liked. And the one thing as well, that course, the par threes on there, some of the par threes, they were not long, but some of the greens and the complexes and the bunkering, like it's like it's awesome. Like you just want to play the par threes like all day, every day. They just, just looks just so interesting. Mate, well, she, she closed it out with this uh, awesome, awesome birdie, just banged it on the green, rolled the putt in. It was all done. The other guys... Um, that were playing around, I still had to finish off, but uh, she was fantastic, and I agree with you. I, I had never really seen uh, Wilshire. 
Um, but it's a course that uh, I've sort of checked out in maybe the recent times, and it looks amazing. Who who is the who's the architect of that course? Uh, Norman Macbeth. Norman Macbeth. Yeah, actually, has a bit of a history. Um, so I'm going to go on a little soliloquy here. So he's originally from um, Scotland and spent a lot of time around uh, the Morrises, um, but also had links with um, – so he spent some time around Lit- Royal Litham uh, and also with uh, William Founds. So anyone who knows who William Founds is, he's the um, – He's the founder and architect of Oakmont. Uh, and then, you know, he was one of the key members at Los Angeles Country Club. And then, you know, he spent a lot of time with other architects that had spent a lot of their the winters out west. And, you know, he's he's created an absolute, absolute masterpiece in there. Uh, and the renovation was done just recently by a guy called Kyle Phillips, and he, his real claim to fame uh, was the renovation he did at Cow Club um, up in San Francisco. So if anyone's seen a before and after of um, California Club um, from when Kyle did that, my goodness, this, this, this guy really knows how to do his research on the history of a club and be able to return it back to its original glory and um, accentuate all the all the features that are that are part of the club. And he's really making his name for being a restoration guy, that's for sure. And it's not a long course. It's like um, 6,500 yards past 71. So in the metrics, it's under 6,000 metres. Power greens, Bermuda fairways. The greens certainly look challenging like all power greens, you know, get in the afternoon. But it's another uh, discussion that's come up, you know, where a lot of the courses that maybe are not the length that the tour guys would play on should be made available and the girls should be playing on, on these high-quality designs and courses that they're just not getting to. I, I was listening to um, Mike Clayton the other week on... Not sure what podcast it was, but you know he was buddy. He was. Um, I'm not sure who was, who was his buddy doing it anyway. He was making the point that you know these guys, the girls, should be playing on these top level courses that the guys aren't playing on, and um, you know. Well, the USGA is starting to do that, right? So you know, Mike Davis, who's a chairman of the USGA, he gets a bad, you know, he gets a fair bad rap, but if you, if you take away the, you know everyone having a kitten because they've lost the greens at Shinnecock or whatever it is. Um, I think it gets overblown. But some of the things that he's doing with where he's taking courses and he's taking the US Open and some of the USGA events, you actually have to stand up and give him a golf clap, right? So because I look at when he sort of became a primary um guy around deciding what was happening in US Opens, you think about a couple of things that he did, right? So you got they they go Pinehurst and we and he wants them to bring Pinehurst back to what it originally was. So you bring in Core Crenshaw and then that same US Open, the US Open that was played as the men's, they played the women's one there the week after. Like that's never been done before. Mm. But it was interesting to see the women play on the same course, you know, the week after. And then last year 
No, so then he's also taken it to some other courses like Chambers Bay, Erin Hills, so some public courses that are a bit more new. But, you know, last year, you know, the Women's Open was at Chicago um, Golf Club. So it's another Seth, Seth Rayner, well, to Charles McDonald, Seth Rayner. And then he's taken it to another um, Seth Rayner one this year. I haven't looked at seeing any other future sites or any other future USGA sites, but the trying to retain some of these classics, you know, under the under the stewardship of Mike Davis has been uh, it's been awesome because you know he brought Marion, like for example, Marion was like essentially out of rotation on US Open because of you know, all the change in distance and clubs and stuff. So the last time Marion was used as a US Open course was 81, which was David Graham. So they brought it back in 2013 because he went there and helped them with, you know, what are the things we wanted to change on the course to bring it closer to something distance-wise, but still retaining a lot of the, the original um, play play of the course and i still think it was a fantastic us open so he's he he's in touch with yes there's challenges with the game and we could go on about usga and rna about equipment and stuff like that but he's still trying to um, bring back some of these classic courses and 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 bring them back into the rotation um for, for us opens so for example um um uh country club up in Massachusetts is back in rotation in another five, six years, I think it is. You know, they're going to bring the US US Open to LA Country Club. Like, who would have thought of that? So this is just, you know, he gets a bad rap, but if you actually look at what are the things he's trying to do, yeah, people should applaud. And, and you're right. It's like bringing it back to some of these courses that they're not long, but they require a bit of strategy. And the other thing with the women's game is that because they don't hit it as far, they don't hit it as high, they don't hit it with as much spin. So the course and how it's meant to play from when it was designed 100 years ago, they're faced with that scenario. And it's really interesting to see how they plot their way around a course. Uh, and that's why I really enjoyed the LA Open because it was a course that was playing firm. It's not very long. There's not a lot of rough, but green complexes and where they put the pins, it all came down to if you're in the wrong side of the fairway, you're going to have an absolute shocking angle and it's going to be really hard for you to get this thing close. And if you, and even if you don't get it close and you miss it in the wrong spot, are you going to have a 60-foot part or is it going to, you're going to short side yourself and leave yourself a terrible up and down? So it's just... It's, yeah, it's just, I don't know, I enjoy that they're doing this, not only um, USGA, but also the LPGA are doing that. So, mate, we've got a big couple of months of golf still to go in uh, the majors and the big tournament uh, swing. What's next, mate? What's next? Bring us up to speed. Oh, the USPGA is coming up. This is another one of those. This, we'll put, USPGA, we'll pick it up. We'll put it into the little bucket of another one of those PGA Tour scheduling things. Um, so that's coming up in May, which is weird. Um, but that's being played at Bethpage. So there's two more there's two more weeks to go. So we've got Wells Fargo. Um, 
at uh, Quail Hollow, and then we've got AT&T Byron Nelson, which is at Trinity Forest. I hope it doesn't rain at Trinity Forest this year. I want that course to be running so hard and fast that the the pros, when they roll into the PGA, their their pants are on fire because they're mad. Um, yeah, so PGA, Beth Page. So traditionally, that's been a another one that was, and this is a Mike Davis thing as well. Public classic public course, renovated, brought back into brought into uh, U.S. Open rotation in two thousand and two. You know, which which Tiger Tiger had won, and then it was played again not long after that. So 2009, that's Lucas Glover. Um, but now the US PGA have picked it up, um, and it was always oh, I always thought it was going to be interesting. You know, you got May in New York, and sometimes the weather can still be a little bit on the chilly side. So how's how's the course going to come up? I've already seen some early photos, so the course looks like it's in really good nick, but. I don't know what the USGA have done. I've seen some photos, and it's like they've made the fairways about 20, 25 yards wide, grown thick rough. Oh, I think they're confused at the, the event they're putting on. I, I don't know what they're – I don't know. Oh, I'm holding my breath to see what the how the course is going to be set up because it is a brute. Like it is a brute of a course. Um, so interesting to see how they've set it up, how it's going to play. I don't, I don't want it to be – it's not a US Open, so they need to have it set up. So at least there's some scoring. And it is a classic course, so hopefully they retain some of the original strategy and things like that, and they haven't just, you know, overcooked it, trying to protect it. I saw a picture from one of the golf journos, or uh, Ashley Mayo, who was there playing with her partner on the weekend, and she had a picture from down the first there, and... You know, I only know Beth Page Black from playing it on Full Swing Golf Simulator, um, but the fairway looked about twenty yards wide. You know, not even it was uh, looked like a little sliver of cut grass down there, which um, looked fairly hard to hit. But it was interesting to even see. When, sorry, go on. So even when they played the U.S. Open there, the fairways were never narrow. Oh, no, they narrowed them in, right? Normal U.S. Open style, but they still were not as narrow as they would normally be um, in traditional sort of US Open ones because that course is long and it's hard. There's a lot of, not a lot of straightaway holes. There's a lot of angles and typical Tillinghast. There's a lot of really interesting bunkering in terms of where they're placed as well, cross bunkers, um, cutting out the middle of fairways, ones that are coming in the side, so changing all of the angles in the driving zone. So there's a lot of width to be played with there because a lot of it still was down to angles. But I don't know. I'm scared thinking what have, what have they done? You know, have they grown it in so far that the bunkers that normally would cut into the angle of the fairway are basically going to be like, you know, five metres to the right of the rough? Uh, I, I don't know. I'm scared. I'm actually scared. Well, the course is closed now, so there's no more play. Obviously, the, the stands and all of the facilities are set up, and uh, that's why we got to see it on the weekend is because what well, I found interesting that there was a whole stack of people that camped out in their cars overnight to get the ticket to play the last day before the course closes, before the PGA. And interestingly, um, Footjoy turned up and put a big spread on and put a... Uh, bought the van down and they had chipping competitions and, you know, had a bit of an activation down there in the car park for the guys camping out overnight, sort of 
St Andrews style, I guess you could say, to get the uh, the tea times the next morning for the last the last round. It was it was quite uh, quite cool to see people camping out in their cars, I, and I, I think it's um quite a common uh, thing at Bethpage Black if you want to play, you know, to sleep in your car. And there's a whole big board there of the rules about sleeping in your car and what you are and aren't allow, allowed to do while you you know effectively camping on site. So quite interesting. Um, so I look forward to we'll probably touch base again before the USPGA obviously what else is uh, just a snapshot of after that US Open or oh, no the Open after the US no PGA? US Open no so post post PGA it's another um, three three tournaments and then US Open then vice versa for uh, the, for the for the Open Championship as well so it's going to be really interesting if the Open Championships is last and it's you know this is the first time we'll experience this you know of changing the rotation because the PGA used to be always in August, which always presented problems for um, certain parts of the US when they would have it because it's either um, you know torrential rain or it's uh, humidity that you almost can't breathe in you know depending on some of the locations they would put it. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. And the big cat as well, so it'd be interesting to see how many tournaments he actually plays going into these. And I actually, I, I actually don't think he's going to play. So he hasn't played since the Masters, so I, I don't reckon he's going to tee it up again till till the PGA. So, um, and he might do the same thing all the way through to the through the Open. I can't see him play too many other events. Well, uh, he probably won't go to. The Scottish Open. Do you think he'd go to the Irish Open to prepare for the Open, and the Irish Open being held at La Hinch? Um, do you no, think, no. Wait, you might you might sneak across to his little semi-private uh, course at Ennis Crone, where uh, rumour has it that he's done a lot of tune-ups for the Lynx Golf uh, of the Opens in in past years. Do you think he might just bomb it in there and have a bit of a private tune-up? Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes in because this will be the first time it's played. So we're getting further ahead now. So um, Portrush is somewhere he's never played before. So unless they've got a download on the full swing simulator that's in his house, um, he's never played it before. So I wouldn't be surprised if he goes over a week early um, and probably tries to see if he could sneak around onto there and then just to get a feel for it, and then he would just be just working on some short game stuff, I reckon, or just little shots that he thinks he might need to play um, to, to to get it around Portrush. Well, I'm looking forward to that part of uh, the golf season. I love Lahinch. I've played there, and I can't wait to see the Irish Open. I'm interested to see the Scottish Open. I think it's at the Renaissance Club, which is in East Lothian. Never played there, been in and around there. It's just down the road from Muirfield and in between there and North Berwick. So interested to see that and obviously the Open. Um, can't wait to, to see it in that part of the world, Northern Ireland. First time it's been outside of the UK for, well, outside of mainland Great Britain for years and years and years. So it's good. So we've got a good stretch of golf coming up, mate, that we'll... Uh, Report in oh, on touch base one. Anything else from you, mate? You've got always got some interesting takeaways to take us out with. Surely the, you've got a few <laughs> few zingers zinger time. Um, if I'm going to go, 
I got a couple. See, it's with um, this guy is he's hit my he's hit my favourite list again, and this is going to cover our social media factor as well. Eduardo Molinari, so the older brother of Frankie, he has put a tweet out earlier this week and just said, "I'm sick of slow play." If this get, if this tweet gets a hundred retweets, I will post the sheet from the European Tour that lists every player, how many times they've been uh, timed during a tournament, and how many times they've been fined, and what the value of the fines are. So it must get sent out to the players. It, that thing got a thousand retweets, very very fast, and he goes. Not to disappoint my audience, here it is. So he's posted every player that has played a European Tour event that has been timed, how many times, how many events they've played and what they've been fined. Even his brother was on there. So he's taken absolutely no prisoners. And so this thing has just lit up lit up the Twitter, Twitter sphere. Uh, and just for, just for giggles... I posted tonight, about an hour before we were doing this podcast, I said I would love for for uh, Dodo Molinari, that's his Twitter handle, uh, to be paired with Brooks Kepka in the Zurich Classic next year and to see how much pressure they could apply on their playing partners to make them play faster and the team that could play under four hours would get bonus FedEx cup points and I'll put a little picture of like a Rolex, one of those Rolex clocks that you have on a golf course and had four hours and five minutes like on the clock and I uh, tagged a heap of other people in. He's responded to it within <laughs> within 20 minutes and said, I'd love to play that event with either Brooks Kepka or Adam Scott so we can show them um, how... We could show them how it's – actually, I'll read – I'm going to read this quote <laughs> out. I've got it here, mate. It was, I've got it here. It's a re- reply – I'll, I'll let, me, let, me tell you, tell you, let me tell you. So uh, replying to at uh, Rodney Heron at Zurich Classic and four others, I'd be li- be delighted to play with either at Brooks Kepka or at Adam Scott to prove our point. Hashtag stop slow play. So you've got some traction from the man. He's on board. He's on board the uh, the rocket rampage. Well, it's his rampage, and, and you're on board. The, and he's supporting. The, uh, I think because the Zurich Classic had this lame, you know, walkout music. I said, "Oh, their walk that team, their walkout music should be in excesses. Just keep walking." <laughs> oh dear. So, um, who were the bad boys on that list? Who are who are the ones that were up top. Oh, a lot of just a lot of a lot of the normal ones. So it's a European tour. So Johnny Rahm was on there. Um, Justin Harding. Uh, who else? There was a couple I would surprised. I didn't write down a list. Um, I might even just go and have a look at it. But it was just interesting, and it's like he's just. It is. It is quite simply. I think he's just had a gut full of it. Like he's literally just had an absolute gut full of it. And he's just almost like doesn't care. So he, I'm looking at, there's a couple of real crackers in here. Who's who's had three? 
Lucas Beer Garden or Beauregard, time three times. Breaches one. Ooh. Who else has had some breaches? Maddie Fitzpatrick in there. Rafa Cabrera. Oh, the 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 fake physicist is in there for two two times timed. Um, Bryson DeChambeau. I, yeah, Bryson, fake physicist. Oh, Lukey, Lucas Herbert. Oh my goodness. Uh, who else has been this? Oh, Hideki. He's been timed three times. Oh, this is a young fella, Adrian Ortego or something like that. Oh, that's so. That's Jorge, that's Jorge's friend, Adriano Otegui. Yeah, times six times, um, and he's been fined three grand. <laughs> uh, Pulse is in there. Who else has got three? Lots of twos and ones. Oh, who? Oh, Louis. Oh, the mattress mattress man, Louis Oosthuizen. He's been fined three grand. Do you know why I call him the mattress man? Why do you call him the mattress man? Because he actually has a mattress delivered, his own personal mattress shipped from tournament to tournament. So if he stays in a hotel, he swaps the mattress for his mattress. You don't do that when you go on travelling for business? You don't do that? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's strange. Got, Louis Oosthuizen, I'm calling you out as strange. That is strange. I get it, but, you know, I guess what you do when you've got loads of cash. Trying to win yeah, golf there's, tournaments, there's but taking, that, that is strange. taking your own pillow. It's taking your own pillow. Take your own mattress. That's just next level. At the risk of upsetting people who maybe take their own pillow types that may listen to this podcast... I just want to say I'm not a fan of travelling when I see people with blankie or little pill pill the pillow um, carrying with them. But just saying, I don't want to upset anyone. But I, uh, I think I just I think it's odd behaviour. Anyway, that's that's enough for me. So um, so you've you've highlighted all the people there, and you can find that list on there. Anything else catch your eye? Well, something caught my eye, or your you brought it to my attention. It caught my eye. Speaking of Dodo Molinari, um, his uh, his brother Francesco, the new newly anointed ambassador for the Brisbane Lions. What a little piece of camera that was! Hello, oh. this is Francesco Molinari. I am very pleased to be the ambassador for Brisbane Lions. Genius! Oh, <laughs> He must have someone on his team who's an Australian. I, I don't know how they got him, but that was I've never. I thought it was like a prank. I'm still flummoxed, <laughs> but uh, I haven't seen the Brisbane Lions leverage that uh, relationship or the association. But I'm sure that they will. Um, he did not have a Brisbane Lions jersey on, so they failed at the first post there because um, you at least have to get him photoshopped with a Brisbane Lions jersey on or have one sent to him. But um, that didn't happen, so we can only wait and see uh, the evolution of the Francesco Molinari-Brisbane Lions partnership. I can't wait to see that unfold. But um, <laughs> any, anything else from you before we wrap it up, mate? Anything else from you? Um, 
There's two things. So the first one is I'm looking forward to when they release this Bridgestone ad between Tiger and um, the guy that does the Connor sketches. So I've seen some snippets of that. That looks just hilarious. So I'm, I'm quite looking forward to seeing what this ad looks like. Um, I heard it looks really good. Oh, really good. It's really tough. It's tough out there. Um, and and the last thing, and and this is, you know, it's funny. I think about, oh, I think it was a couple of podcasts ago, and I was sort of apologising for, you know, probably not paying as much attention to, you know, a lot of the other tools and things like that. But obviously, with watching the the women's LA Open, um, and just a few players, like a couple of Australian players, and. So, like, for Sarah Jane Smith, and it was her last event because um, I think she's, like, three months pregnant, so she's going to take a sort of maternity leave. And there's another player, um, Brittany Linniscombe, so she's also pregnant. And then I started to – and I saw that um, Stacey Lewis has just come back from having her first child. Uh, she got an exemption into the US Open because, because of her not playing for – essentially the last 12 months, her world ranking has dropped off, so that means she didn't automatically qualify. So I started to look into this and I thought, you know, you think about, you know, I think about where I work and they talk about, um, you know, diversity, um, equal pay for, for women, etc. you know, all of those things. And I started to think about, you know, what, you got the women's tour, and if someone wants to start a family and they're a professional athlete, one of the things that are that may pre- preclude them from doing this and make it hard for them to earn a living, and just having a baby seems like it's a really hard thing. Because what I I, I only just learned is that only this year did the LPGA bring in a maternity policy, which meant that whatever their status was when they stopped playing, they hold that status when they return. They've got like a two-year period to return. So you think about, you know, if you're a – if you've got your tour card and you don't play for 18 months because you're having a baby and then want to spend, you know, at least the first year, you know, raising the kid and then you want to come back out on tour, if that was – you know, prior to that, you would have to go and get your tool card again. So they've only just brought in this policy of just retaining your status for for, for when you return. Um, and then it got me thinking about you know you got the you know you got some of these major events. So if you're you know someone like Stacey Lewis, so when when she uh, left uh, the tour to go and um, um, have her baby, she was ranked just outside the top 10. So her being inside the top 50 gets her into all the majors. So she goes away for 12 months, comes back, and she's not even ranked in the top 100. She's, you know, made her way back, and she's, but she's still outside of um, outside of that, that spot. So then, you know, is it is it more incumbent not just on LPGA, but even the, you know, Rolex who do the, you know, or the USGA, RNA, for especially the women to maintain a, a status, a world ranking status, so they have the comfort of 
not only their tool card, but also some of these major events that when they do return, they can actually have a grace period for that first 12 months because, you know, you think about it's really hard to get on some of these tours. So maintaining your card on a year-to-year basis is, is quite difficult. So have, forcing someone to go back and start all over again, and that's the choice between them wanting to, you know, um, start a family and their livelihood, that that just that's another wall that really just should not be in place. And and I'd never never even thought about it until I actually was watching this event and started to think about it. Like, okay, if they have a job, what do they do? And so you think about they've just brought this in, LPGA. Think about the last forty years. All these other, all these other um, women that have started families. How hard has it been for them to get back on tour, or why have some of them um, come back earlier than maybe they wanted to because they need to try and retain their card? Right? So, you know, quality of life and, and raising a child is really important. So they've sacrificed some of that because they're trying to maintain a livelihood. So, you know, this is uh, still. This is a great first step, but there's still a long way to go, even for the LPGA as a whole, to make sure that when they do um, decide to start a family and go on maternity leave, that everything is put in place around them so that when they, they leave and they return, they've at least got 12 months of maintaining the whole status of everything they've accrued over their career because, you know, anyone that's – any females that might be listening to this, they know that, you know, trying to – juggle that plus then your game and then trying to get your your, your, your we'll call it your, your your golf body back into shape to be playing it can take time so getting golf reps you know that first 12 months is really critical so having the starts not having to worry about qualifying for things is going to be really important for these people to make decisions so i don't know i hope the 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 golf world can make a few more faster steps because it's it's just a bit of a strike of the pen. You know, holding world ranking status doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're still number three in the world when you come back. But based on where you are, you're you've got an invitation into these events based on your status. It just doesn't mean you're ranked that you still ranking might drop, but you've got an automatic status based on whatever it is. It's it's just some common sense that could be put in play. So. Um, I don't know, I hope, hope, hope a lot of the tours and stuff like that and all the relevant people get together and cooler heads will prevail and make some good decisions that make it a lot lot easier for, for women that, that do a lot of hard work and do a lot of great things for the game to to be able to have an easier choice to go on and, and start a family and, and know they've got some form of job security when they come back because it's not like they can just sort of take sick leave, you know. The money they earn is basically it's on the golf course. So if they're not playing, um, you know you're not earning you're not earning coin, mate. And to me, it just all loops back to where we started this podcast, where everyone has to take responsibility for having a look at how they operate and administer and run golf, and the things that they need to do to make it more inclusive, more accessible, and in this case, you know that is very evident that the body controlling the LPGA needs to 
get with the times and always be thinking about what they're doing to make the game as accessible for their players to come back in and make a living and keep the game strong and healthy and keep people watching it and keep people playing it. It's a big loop that we all are responsible for doing our part. You and I are trying to do this to do our little part, but everyone has to do it. Clubland, Torland, you know, manufacturers, we all have to do what we need to do. And um, in some examples, it needs to happen quicker. You just raised an example. It probably should have happened 20 years, a long, well, you know, a lot long, a lot sooner than it has. 20 years ago is probably not soon enough, but you know what I mean. And, um, yeah, so... Unless there's anything else, mate. No, I, I, I think, without me thinking about it, that's a, I think that's a, almost like the exclamation mark on. You know, I know it's probably we're not as jokey as, as some of the other ones, but um, you know, I think you know you t- telling the story about the closing of a golf course and you know the importance of the game, the importance of people like us. You know, we call it everyone's a custodian of it. And what we should be doing for it, uh, I think, ending it kind of on that that note. I wouldn't call it sombre. It's just food for thought for everyone that might listen to this out there. That um, you know, we all got to do our little bit. Doesn't have to be a lot. Just everyone, every 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 minute counts in terms of you know what we do for this game. Mate, plenty of exciting times ahead for you and I. Plenty of exciting times ahead for the game. Can't wait to see Connor Sketches and the Tiger ad. Really good. Really good. So, um, <laughs> I just want to be Connor Sketches, to be honest. But, um, mate, thanks again. Appreciate your time on the My Love of Golf podcast. Let's keep it going. This is a great little segment that we've got happening, and the people are really liking it. If you are a first time listener to the Roscoe and Rocket podcast, send us some feedback. Do us a favor, chuck us a like on iTunes or check us a, sub- a subscribe share this uh, one thing that's what we didn't talk about Mitchell Driver anyway we can talk about that next time um, Mitchell shared his recent appearance on the My Love of Golf podcast and um, people reached out and connected with him and reached out and connected with me and let me know that it was a great story so listen to the Mitchell Driver podcast great story about a young man from New South Wales, Australia, who's plying his greenkeeping trade all around the world. Um, we don't have time to talk about it, and I know, Rocket, you were very impressed by the story, but go out and do, awesome. go and do yourself a favour and listen to the Mitchell Driver story, young greenkeeper who has a uh, big passion for golf course architecture, and he's just a young man from western suburbs that's working at some of the most awesome golf courses that you've ever heard of. And uh, so listen to that story, and if you like it, share it. Mate, that's enough from me. How about you? I'm done. Excellent. Until next time, Roscoe and Rocket, out of here. We'll speak to you soon.